0: Thank you.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Cross Timber Baptist Church. Today is May 17th, 2020. It's hard to believe school is almost over and summer is not far away. In fact, Memorial Day is next weekend. And we're very excited because we are going to have our very first drive-in church service here at Cross Timber. That would be a great way for us to, to worship and still maintain safe guidelines and social distancing. So be on the lookout for more information on Facebook. And if you're a church member, you should see something in the mail. Again, we're glad you've joined us for worship today at Cross Timber.
0: So wonderful is your unfailing love. The cross is spoken by Open my eyes to Your wonders and You've captured my heart with this love. cause nothing on earth is as beautiful as You, beautiful One I love, beautiful One I adore, beautiful One. I Through 18,
2: reading from the message, this is how much God loved the world; He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in Him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in Him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him.
3: John 14:6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Acts
2: 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved.
3: Reading from Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith.
0: Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
3: Our scripture reading is in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence in our lives. Father, that in the face of all trials, all affliction, all adversity, Father, in the face of every good and wonderful and kind thing that you do, Father, you sit on the throne. Father, you sit sovereignly and reign over our lives. Lord, to work in us your works and your deeds. Father, that we may seek you, follow you. Father, that we may even desire you with the whole of our being. We thank you, Father, that you are so persistent father so faithful to work in us to not leave us but to be steadfast in your love father to be steadfast in your grace and in your mercy in our lives and father i thank you for what you are doing in the world father for the trials and afflictions Father, for the wrath that you pour out that may call lost people to seek you, to seek hope, to seek forgiveness. And Father, for your children, Father, just to give us an opportunity through the trials of the day and of the times to trust you. Father, to deny fear, deny a place for the enemy to take up residents in our lives by trusting you by looking to you father for all of our sufficiency and we thank you for that father we pray for the work that you're doing among the churches in our communities father in our country and around the world father this virus event is all over the world and father your church is your church Father, it's. I pray that you help its light to shine. Father, that we might have a voice to those who are fearful and uncertain. We might share with them the good news of the gospel. Father, we just ask you to help us, Father, to be more mindful now than ever to pray for one another. Father, to stir in our hearts the names of, of our brothers and sisters in our family. In our Faith family to remember to pray for them for whatever trials that people are facing father that you would just remind us father that we would be moved to pray and lift each other up father thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us and i just pray father as as rusty brings our word so faithfully from what you lay on his heart father that it would stir all of us strengthen us and draw our attention to you in all things. Father, in this we ask for your work and your power among us. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: hides him like treasure strength all I am
3: church family.
5: Draw me close to you. will do Cause nothing else could take your place
1: Chris Christopherson was a songwriter. Many of you may have heard of him. He was Oxford educated. He was an army captain and a helicopter pilot. And he left all of that to go to Nashville to build a career as a, a songwriter. Took a job sweeping floors at Columbia Studios, hoping to be able to have someone listen to one of his demo tapes. Often he would give those demo tapes to different Folks, And he had opportunity to build a bit of a relationship with um, June Carter Cash. And so he would give some of those tapes to her in hopes that Johnny Cash would listen to them. And after many failed attempts, he finally landed a helicopter in Johnny Cash's yard and delivered a demo tape of a song he wrote, Sunday Morning Coming Down. After listening to the song, Johnny Cash remarked, to his wife that that was a good song and he recorded it in 1969 and Christopherson was given the award of songwriter of the year and his success started. He was one of the biggest names in in Nashville and his life was known for the rough way that he lived and the party lifestyle. One Sunday morning after a late night concert, some friends of his took him to a church service there close to Nashville. And during the service, um, Chris Christopherson just remarked that the preacher said, if anybody's lost, please raise your hand. And he said the last thing in the world he wanted to do was to raise his hand. But then he just felt his hand raising up and he was hoping that nobody was looking. And then the preacher said, is anybody ready to accept Jesus? Just come on down front. And again, he thought, this is um, this is not For me, I'll be the last person to ever do that. And the next thing he did, he found himself walking and going down to the front and kneeling down with all these other folks. And he remembers the preacher saying something like, are you ready to accept Jesus into your life? And I just, and Christopherson said, I don't, I don't know. And then he says he couldn't even remember what the preacher was saying, but whatever it was, he felt such a release. He found himself weeping in public. And in his words, he says, I felt this Forgiveness that I didn't know I even needed. Out of that experience, he wrote a song. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted it so. Help me, Jesus. I know what I am. Now that I know that I've needed you, so help me, Jesus, my soul's in your hand. This morning is not about great songs. It's about a great salvation. Last week, we looked at a great God in Psalm 145, and we saw that he was gracious, merciful and good, faithful, righteous and near to all who call on him. And this morning, we're going to look at the great gift of salvation provided by our great God. It's motivated by his grace, mercy and goodness. It's made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, Tim read for us Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. That's where we'll be looking at today together. So if you have your Bible, you may want to open it up to that right now. And while you're doing that, let me just pray for us. Father, we Thank you that you give us the privilege of studying your word. And we do acknowledge this morning that you are a great God and you offer a great salvation. And I pray that this message would speak to hearts. It would bring encouragement to those that are discouraged. It would bring hope to those that need hope. But most of all, it would bring salvation to those that need salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean when someone says, I am saved? Many people, when you say that, I'm I'm saved, won't even know what you mean. Some may have heard it said, but they really can't explain it, or maybe they haven't experienced it. Paul, in his letter to Titus, who was a pastor on the island of Crete, gives us one of the clearest explanations we have in all of the Scriptures of what it means to be saved. The verses we look at are really one long sentence in Greek, And there's one main phrase that is so important, and it's three simple words. He saved us. Everything else in the passage is built off of this phrase. He saved us. They help us to explain it, to understand it, to amplify it. And so this morning, I want us to try to answer these questions. Why do we need to be saved? How are we saved? And what does it mean for us to be saved? So the first thing I want us to see is why do we need to be saved? I want you to write down or if you're taking notes or maybe just keep this in your mind, just the word need Four letters. It will help you as we work through this. You see, we need to be saved because we are all sinners and we need a savior. Paul points Titus to this truth in verse three when he says, for we ourselves were and then he begins to give A laundry list of what it looks like for someone to be apart from Christ. Listen to his description. Foolish. Thinking about the wrong thoughts. Disobedient. Doing the wrong things. Led astray. Following the wrong example. Slaves to the wrong master. And hated by others and hating one another. Having the wrong attitude. Having an absence of love. It's not really the way we like to think of ourselves. At least I don't like to think of myself that way. But it's the truth for every single person who is apart from Christ. It paints a picture that's pretty, pretty bleak. It's not pretty and it's certainly not flattering, but it is honest. And this honest picture helps us to see how bad we really are apart from Christ. The need that we have for Christ And to learn to show compassion and gentleness toward those that are apart from Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, no man has any idea how bad he really is. And often we say things like, I may not be perfect, but I'm certainly not as bad as this person or that person. You know, I do some pretty good things and I try real hard to get along with everybody. That's probably good enough Or surely God will see all the good that I do and see that outweighs the bad and he'll accept me. And we fail over and over again to see the depth of our sin, the depravity of our hearts, that we are living in offense to God. And that we have a need for help, a need to be rescued. You see, when we realize what kind of sinners we are. And what Christ has delivered us from, it changes our perspective toward those who are apart from Christ. It helps to free us from critical, self-righteous spirits. Those that look down on the the lost, the non-church people. People that pass out judgment on others. Or we join in with Jonah in judgment of Nineveh or our neighbors. And just say, God, just deal with them rather than looking at them with love and compassion. And if you desire, like I do, to reach out to this community around us with love and compassion, then we have to remember that apart from Christ, we're just like them. The only difference in our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, is Jesus in us. And it's only when men and women understand the dire situation of their soul apart from Christ. That they see a need for a Savior. See, sin is a universal problem. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that say to us? It says no one is good enough. No one is righteous outside of Jesus alone. No one. Not you, not me. And so how... In the world, do men and women come to know that they're not good enough. Well, it's by revelation. It's God speaking to them. It's God working through the truth of his word. What it says, it's through conviction of the Holy Spirit that we realize that we're really not as good as we think we are. We see it in Ephesians chapter two, verse 12, where it shows that apart from Christ, we're separated from God. We have no hope and we're without God in the world. So what do we need? We need a remedy. We need salvation. We need a rescue. Someone to step up on our behalf. And on our behalf, God sent Jesus to be the Savior, to make things right. To bring about radical transformation from what we were to what we can be in Christ. You see, when Jesus, the Savior, appeared... All of God's eternal characteristics suddenly became on display for all to see. His goodness, His loving kindness, His mercy, His grace, His love. See, Jesus brought the light of the glory of God, of salvation into the world. And so when people look at Jesus, they see God, they see His attributes. And Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. That's exactly what the need is for men and women apart from Jesus. They're lost and they need someone to save them. They're walking in darkness and they need someone to bring them to the light. Which brings us to the second question. How are we saved? Now, the key word here is provision. What did God do in response to our need, that we're sinners, unable to save ourselves. Verse five tells us he saved us. In Galatians chapter one, it tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins so that he could rescue us. When I was in the Boy Scouts, I went through um, BSA lifeguard training, and one of the things I learned in lifeguard training training were the, the four ways that you would go and rescue someone. We learned about reach, throw, row, and go. And we learned that you did those in that order that you first tried to reach out to, for someone, then you would try to throw something for them to catch. Then if you had a boat, you would row to them. And only as a last resort would you go and sacrifice yourself, swim out there and try to rescue them. In cases of a poolside rescue, most of those cases you could simply reach out or use a life preserver or a pole to be able to extend help to those that needed it. But you see, when we needed help, when there was nothing we could do for ourselves, Jesus came in person to earth to die for our sins. See, God reaches out. He goes to men and women in the person of Jesus so that salvation could be made available. It's God's work. It's never ours. Think about it. A drowning man can do nothing to save himself. It's not by our works that we can save ourselves. No, it's simply as a drowning person would have to yield to the rescue of the rescuer and not fight against them that they can be saved. It's according to God's. Great mercy, not our own efforts. And verse five reminds us of this, not because of works done by us in righteousness. See, human efforts can never save. Salvation can't be earned. It can only be received as a free gift from God. Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, said it this way, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Think about just for a moment how amazing this is. There's something we need to be saved from sin. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And we can't do it ourselves. Yet God himself provides it. He meets our need. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Here's the reality for those that are in Christ. You were sinners without God and without hope. But God intervened. A savior appeared. Motivated by God's goodness and His loving kindness, Jesus came in person, the grace of God. And by simple faith, your life was transformed and you're never the same again. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote another wonderful song. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When I stood condemned to death, He took my place. Now I live and breathe in freedom with each breath of life I take. Loved and forgiven, back with the living, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. How sweet is it to say this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you're at home and you've made that decision, I just encourage you to to bless the Lord and bless yourself by just saying that out loud. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And when you hear that, if you've never made that decision, if you've never trusted Jesus, I hope you will before we're done so that you can say you're a sinner saved by grace. Now, Back in Titus, Paul goes on to describe this great salvation and he uses three words that are helpful. He uses the word regeneration. He uses the word renewal and he uses the word justified. It starts in verse five by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he talks about washing, he's talking about an inner spiritual cleansing, not washing the outside, but God, by his spirit, washing over our inside. And he describes two parts of this work done by the Holy Spirit. The first part is regeneration, new spiritual birth. If you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to read in John chapter three, the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus about how you can be born again. It's the result of the work of Christ imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, and it brings us from spiritual death to new life. And this process is instant. It's radical and it's noticed by the fruit of our actions That's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if you are in Christ, that new is noticeable to all that are around you. But he goes on, he says, the Holy Spirit also in this work does a work of renewal. There's a marvelous, ongoing transformation happening in the life of anyone who is a follower of Jesus. You see, God is working through the spirit daily to transform us more and more, little by little, some days more than the other, into the image of Jesus to make us each day a little more like Jesus, that there's a daily renewing of heart and mind that takes place. There's a big word for it that we use, and that's the word sanctification. It's just helping us to have less of ourselves in our lives and more of Jesus in our lives. Now, the third word that he uses is justified. And he says that we're justified by his grace, God's grace. That we're declared to be right with God through our faith in Christ. We're brought into a right relationship with God. We go from being enemies to friends. We go from being far apart to drawn near because of the righteousness of Christ. It's a gift of God's amazing grace. The place where Jesus takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness and that we receive Christ. We become righteous before God because the Bible tells us in first Corinthians that Jesus is our righteousness. Watchman Nee, a faithful follower of Jesus and a wonderful teacher said this about righteousness. Righteousness is a person. It is not a thing. The righteousness that a Christian has is the living Christ. It is not some dead object. Even if we committed all the sins of the world, our righteousness is still Christ himself. If you are in Christ, your righteousness is not your own. It is in Christ and it is firm and it is secure. What does God provide for anyone who places their faith in Christ? He provides salvation. He provides new life. And he also provides a new way to live. Which brings us to our third question. What does it mean to be saved? The key word here is transformed in Christ. Transformed. You see it at the last part of verse 7 and in verse 8. If you are in Christ today, you are a brand new man or a brand new woman. Paul uses three things to describe this to Titus and those in Crete. He talks about the gift of eternal life, the fact that we are heirs, even more join heirs with Jesus and that we should be devoted to good works. In verse seven, he says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, eternal life, A life that never ends, that is both a present reality for believers and an ongoing thing for all eternity. Jesus, the one who came and said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. John 10 In John 17, Jesus says eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, his son. And this eternal life is a life here on earth that is filled with fruitfulness in the power of the Spirit working through us. There's a richness, there's a depth, there's a hope, there's blessing, there's peace, there's security, there's comfort. There are challenges and there are difficulties, but there is a great God that is with us all the way. But the good news is, the even better news, if it can get better, is that that life continues on all through eternity. To the point where we will see our Savior face to face. We will be made like him and we will be with him forever. Not only do we have eternal life, but we are made heirs. The Bible teaches clearly that Christians are joint heirs with Jesus. Or co-heirs with Jesus. Equal share, equal rights. In the beginning of the book of John, John writes... As many as did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're in Christ this morning, do you think of yourself as a child of God? Do you think of yourself as a son or a daughter of the king? Do you see yourself as eternally adopted into the family of God? Because with that comes assurance. We are sure in him. There's no need to worry. There's no need to have fear. God will watch over us. God will provide for us. He's faithful and you can trust him. There's also an inheritance. Being joint heirs with Jesus makes us beneficiaries to all of his inheritance. And Peter tells us that that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled. And unfading and it's kept in heaven for you. But there's one last part of being an heir. And that is responsibility. You see, all who are saved, all who are trusted in Christ, are called to live a life that is pleasing to him. A life of good works. That we have been transformed. And because we have been transformed, then we should live a transformed life life, a life that is noticeably different to the world around us, a life that points others to God, a life that glorifies God. If you read verse eight in Titus, he says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, it's very important that we see that he says those who have believed in God before he says that they should devote themselves to good works. Because our good works will never be good enough to get us to God. But if we truly believe, if we truly have a faith in God through Christ, then it will be displayed in good works. So since you have Have been saved by God's grace, love and mercy. Paul tells Titus, then you should live a life. That is worthy of that high calling. The greatest expression of that is love. Love for God. Love for others. Love for God's word. Love for his truth. Love for pleasing your master in all that you do. John Bunyan in. Pilgrim's progress toward the end of the book writes this sentence. The heart won over to him, talking about God the Father will love his name, his words, his ways, and his people. You see, the reality of the truth of the gospel has to be lived out in real life. And when it is lived out in real life, it becomes a powerful testimony to the truth. It's the greatest evidence of the greatness of God's salvation men and women that leave a life, live a life pleasing unto God that walk according to his word that walk in his ways that walk in the light of his glory and his grace that love with a love that is so obvious that it's not from them that it's from above those are the ones that are the greatest testimony for the truth of what salvation is But let me return to the question that we asked at the beginning. What do you you mean when someone says, I am saved? All men are sinners and in need of a savior. That's need. God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, provision. And the result is a new, eternal, transformed life, transformation. Another way of looking at this great gift of salvation is to think of this sentence. Jesus left the ninety nine to save me. See, in Matthew 18 and in Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of a man who had a hundred sheep and one is missing. And so the man leaves the ninety nine to search for the one. And Jesus said, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety nine that did not wander off. God loves you. And if you wander off, God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for your sins to save you. God desires that none would be lost, that none would perish. He will seek after you. He will pursue you. He is willing to save you if you put your faith in Christ. Can you say today, I am saved? Can you tell other people what it means to be saved? Or are you still a lost sheep waiting to be found? The Good Shepherd is seeking after you today. Will you answer His voice? It's simple. It's simply admitting that there's nothing we can do on our own. It's simply saying, God, there's nothing I can do to save myself. It's admitting that we are a sinner and that we are in need of a Savior. It's simply laying down our rights It's simply laying down the things that we desire to do and repenting and turning away from those things and turning toward God. It's believing that the Bible is true and that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is Lord of all and he is Savior of all who call on his name. And it's by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible is crystal clear. You've done those two things. It says you will be saved. God saves those who call on the name of His Son, Jesus. It's plain and it's simple, it's true and it's great. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so overwhelmed even in this moment just thinking about the salvation that you have made available to us. I think of myself and I see how undeserving I am, how unable I am to, to do anything to save myself, but how wonderful out of your mercy and your love that you reached down and that you called my name, that you found me where I was. That I was one of the 99 that you brought back to the fold. That you call me by name. And that I can call you Savior and Lord and Abba, Father. I thank you for the lives that you change and transform each and every day all across this world. And I thank you that you give us the opportunity to share the wonderful truth of the gospel. Jesus is alive. God still saves. And you ask that we simply turn from our sin and turn to you. Thank you, O God, for the great gift of salvation. And thank you for the great savior that we have the privilege of worshiping and serving. And I pray this morning in his wonderful name. The name that is above every name. The mighty name of Jesus. And I pray in his wonderful name. Amen and amen.